trouble with Scotland is that it's full of Scots. <laughs> Perhaps the time has come to reinstitute an old custom. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. They're frequently dumb, but they're sometimes astute. They're always emphatic on a degree absolute. They're breaking the prisoner right down to the root. That whole TV show on a degree absolute. If you like lava lamps and weather balloons and whack-ass inflections from Patrick McCoon, Chris and Glenn made a podcast especially for you. It's no degree partial. It's a degree beauty. William Wallace was a man of peace. I want to stay here with you. And I with you. You say you want to stay out of the troubles? If I can live in peace, I will. But when they threatened his world... Edward Longshanks is the most ruthless king ever to sit on the throne of England. Scotland. My land. And the woman he loved. I want a home and children. It's all for nothing if you don't have freedom. He was driven to war. Go back to England and tell them there that Scotland's daughters and her sons are yours no more. I saw this movie in the theater in 1995. Mm. I think I saw it twice. Alexandra, you were, I think, the age... I was seven. (laughs) You were the age that I was when The Terminator came out. And oh, I still God. managed to see The Terminator 45 times on oh, VHS wow. before too many. You know, I should have That's probably. Too many times. So uh, were there any uh, parents or, or responsible adult guardians or, or uh, cool older friends taking you to movies in 1995? Did you see anything that year that you can, can recall? Was Lion King 1995? Cause that was so... 94. Very close. 94. Very close. Okay. Yeah. I did see that in theaters, which was very exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think... I feel like Titanic came to theaters and I didn't even get to see that in theaters. 97. So that, I had very limited theater going, except for like the Star Wars re-release. I, I saw that in theaters, definitely. And that also changed 97. my life. Yeah. So no Titanic, but yes to the Star Wars, A New Hope, as they were referring to it by that time, because it wasn't just Star Wars anymore. So did you like Little Anakin more, like being younger? Did that help you? Did you like Little Anakin in Phantom Menace or was he irritating to you? Also, I at the time because I was like ten, I felt sort of pandered to, and I was mm-hmm. like, usually in movies they don't let the kids do this much. Was an observation <laughs> I remember having at the time, <laughs> and now as an adult watching, I'm like, yes, yes, usually in movies they don't let the kids <laughs> do this much. <laughs> but even at the time, I was like, I still know this is not a good movie. I understand that like elements of it are cool because it's just like new Star Wars on the big screen, but. Even then, I was like, they're like, you know, like they were interviewing people coming out of the theater, and I was like, they're like, well, how do you, what do you think of it? Like, do you give it two thumbs up? What do you give the originals? I'm like, well, I gave it two thumbs up, but then I said I gave the originals two thumbs and a foot up, so I knew that there was there like a go. drop off in quality. Did box. you follow that up with a karate kick with your your limber ten year old uh, <laughs> leg? 
I, I think it was a metaphorical foot up. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I miss metaphors all the time, all the time. I appreciate it when people label them properly to help me know that they're they're being metaphorical. But you must have realized that the line reading, now that's pod racing, was <laughs> bad, right? Even, even wizard. to a 10-year-old wizard. Fuck. Jesus, I'd forgotten about <laughs> I am that. right in the middle of a uh, Star Wars oral history by the same two guys who did a great two-volume Star Trek oral history and a Bond oral history that I actually reviewed for your newspaper, Alexandra. And hey. I, 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 these, I think these guys are very good at uh, sequencing of, of quotes to, um, you know, into a sort of which narrative is the, in the way. Which is the thing with oral histories, actually. That is, that is <laughs> yes, Glenn, thank <laughs> you. Thank you. I'm not suggesting that they invented the format. No, no, no. They're also very good at, at finding people to contradict one another and, and juxtapose those quotes in a really fun way. So I'm, I'm reliving all of this. I'm reliving all the pain of, uh, of The Phantom Menace now just because I've been reading about it all, all again. I mean, I certainly went back to convince myself. I was like, well, I guess I just watched it wrong the first time. Clearly, the fault <laughs> lies within me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fault is not in our Star Wars, but in ourselves. <laughs> um, Indeed. Wow. wow. But... No, I went back, I've gone back to see it so many times under that same impression, because I'm like, I remember I liked this, and so when they re-release it in 3D, where they added, like, an additional, it felt like 10 minutes, I don't think it was 10 minutes, (laughs) of just Anakin reaching out towards you through the screen with, like, a screwdriver, I saw that completely drunk, I saw that sober, (laughs) neither way of seeing it was like, oh, this was good now, but I do think of the prequels, episode one is the one I will most willingly watch sure. just because it it's like it's a bad kids movie that has some like very bizarre elements and like episode three is like a movie that's almost good and episode two is just everything about it is bad no, yeah, in yeah. a just depressing yeah. way yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i agree no, I, I mean, I, I don't remember going back to Attack of the Clones being like, all right, this time I'm going to watch it correctly. Like that time I, I went in once and, and I was like, okay, I, uh, you know, um, fool me twice and shame on me, George. But I saw all these films through, the, through my nephews who were like eight, eight years old at the time and I saw them through their eyes and to them they were like the cool thing because it looked good and yeah. Star Wars, the original trilogy, looked old to them. Looked, they could tell that it looked... <laughs> A little yeah. clunky, and to them, this and and they have since come around because they're thinking creatures. They have brains, and a spinal <laughs> column. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, at the time, they were just like pod racing, so awesome. A couple months ago, I, I rode down to Alexandria because my my buddy Brian was uh, showing his. 14-year-old Terminator 2 for the first time and like the only way that I can experience Terminator 2 again at this point so is you made to a act, pilgrimage. You know, get an actual 14-year-old and try to vicariously kind of watch it through and and he dug it he dug it the 11-year-old dug it um did you know, he the, dig it like, sufficiently or did she did they dig it sufficiently I remember uh Jameson saying oh you know that was really good and I would I would watch a, a new version of that with with updated special effects with modern special effects mm-hmm. and uh, which is not i mean you know yes there are way more there are traditional puppets and miniatures and things in that movie than there are computer graphics which you know but that was the the hot new thing yep. at the time anyway i'm going to circuitously bring this back to the movie that we are ostensibly I, I talking can't about wait for this, this, this this i'm going watch to, me do it okay watch oh. me do it when at uh, i think i was a about seven because I didn't see it in the theater, but that was when I when I started watching Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan uh. over and over and over again. I remember thinking like, 
well, this is modern and cool, and the sets are cool, and the ships are cool, and the sound of the transporter and the phasers are cool. And when I watched the original 60s, which I, you know, I now adore, I was like, this looks old, this is stupid, this is cheap. And somehow I was blind to the fact that Wrath of Khan, great movie, but cheap as hell. Like, that movie <laughs> was made for one-fourth the budget of the prior movie. Mm-hmm. Truly like a, a sort of cost-leveling exercise. We spent so much money building all this shit for this this other movie that we, we need to pump out a few more of these but you can't spend a dime on this, Nick Meyer. And that never occurred to me. Watching this as a child, that like, they don't go anywhere. You know, everything is like, even their sets. underground. Yeah, Yeah, there's like one extra in the background. Yeah, cheap, 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 cheap. Great movie, but it is basically a play with a couple of, yeah. ILM exteriors. And meanwhile, in outer space. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a bottle uh, movie. Yeah. It's a bottle yes. movie, exactly. And the through line is that that movie has one of James Horner's two great film scores, the other one being Mel Gibson, Braveheart. Oh, there we go. See, I knew you'd bring it around. I trusted you. <laughs> All right. Glenn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris. Sorry, Chris. This podcast is famously tangent tolerant, so we sometimes forget our original inspiration. We, we sometimes elide the purpose that brought us here initially, which was, of course, that this podcast was inspired by Blind Harry's 15th century epic poem, okay. The Weldon. Okay, I don't understand where this is going, but I'm just going to nod and smile, and you're going to continue. No, you're supposed to say something now. I'm passing the baton to you, because and you're, you're supposed to vamp for a little bit now. Oh, am I? In what way, in what manner do I vamp? Oh, you, act, you act like we've never done this before. All right. I'm just going to introduce our guest. Our, our guest this week, uh, helping us to make sense of this uh, ahistorical epic, oh, I think. Big uh, time. <laughs> Crazy big time. She is our first returning contributor, which means, according to Hoyle, according to strict rules of Kasho, she could be our Colin Gordon, but oh. I say she is nothing less than our Leo McKernan. Definitely. Glenn. She is the author of the books of Field Guide to Awkward Silences, and nothing is wrong, and here is why. She is playwright, provocateur, Washington Post, humorist, <laughs> <laughs> Alexandra Petri. Petri, welcome back to A Degree Absolute. Oh, thank you for having me on A Degree Absolute. Back. I'm going to poison... Our relationship now by asking you a, a rude question. How's the new book coming? Oh, oh that is question. a rude question. Sorry, I withdraw it. I know, I know, I know. It's very funny because tomorrow we're going to figure out, like, <laughs> this might be more granular detail that I'm supposed to be sharing outside of school, but in which case we could remove it in post. Um, but essentially, I've gotten like 66,000 words in, and the question is wow. like, Within that, is there a good 50,000 word book or do I need to like mm. bump the deadline again? And we're going to figure out the answer to that tomorrow. Wow, that's a lot of pressure <laughs> to put on tomorrow. <laughs> okay, good. You set good yourself clear deadlines to make these kinds of decisions. You know, I hope listeners can maybe learn something about uh, how to actualize their, their own uh, aspirations and uh, chase success and feel the burn and prime the pump and I, I forgot what I was saying I, I hope yeah. they can learn something milk the metaphor uh, <laughs> beat, beat the metaphor into the ground um, dead horse it but so a strange thing happened this week someone sent me a, who, who I told uh, actually our theme song singer Casey I told her you were going to be on the show again because she is a big big fan of yours uh, Petri hey. And she then sent me a tweet uh, from one Alexandra Petri about the New York Marathon. She said, oh, is Petri running the marathon? And, no, and it's somehow, my doppelganger. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know you had a doppelganger oh, yeah, who no, is she's also a journalist. Yep. 
for the time. I mean, this is a somewhat uncommon name and a somewhat uncommon uncommon profession. What the hell? Yeah, no, she's great. Uh, I've met her. And I love that she ran the New York Marathon because... Like it's created ambiguity as to whether or not I've ever run a marathon, okay. and so I'm like, thank you for that undergoing 26 miles whole... of effort <laughs> to, <laughs> so that people could be like, congrats, and I can be like, no, no, it wasn't me. That was the New York Times is Alexander Petri. Right. Wow. Um, I think she's actually Petri, but I, I could be mistaken. But anyway, no, she's awesome. Petri and, dishes is uh, yeah. So now that we've cleared that up, um, let me ask you about covering the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. She's also been doing that. <laughs> oh, yeah. shit. That was also her. Damn. Okay. And she covered the spelling bee, which, like, oh, my friend who's usually, like, there at the spelling bee, he's like, hey, I didn't realize you were doing the spelling bee this year. I'm like, and that you work for the New York Times now. I'm like, neither of those two things <laughs> is the case. Boy, does she at least use a middle initial or something? One of you. No, she does. No, she uses E. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. Okay. 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 No, but it's awesome because she's, what, what, what it means is that she's getting more bylines, which is great because she should be getting more bylines because she's very cool. Oh, that's awesome. I like that you don't want to destroy her. I think this is good. This is this is healthy. No, Alexander P. tries stick together. Like <laughs> we know, the more of us there are, the stronger we become. <laughs> yeah, well, I was getting Google alerts for a for a Chris Klimek, who's some kind of like traffic safety advocate in Canada for a while, which is yeah, weird because my my dad that was well okay. Why does that check out, Glenn? <laughs> it just it just because uh, I'm famously obsessed with speed limits uh, uh, and and traffic safety. Um, uh, and your dad was in the Department of Transportation, My dad right? were fed, worked for Federal Highway Administration so, his entire career. So this is, yes. This is the thing. This is your dad's ideal son. This is uh-huh. your dad's... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> There's a Glenn Weldon who is an ultralight enthusiast and gun nut um, somewhere in Alabama. And um, I feel sorry for that guy because he can't be. He can't be happy going on Twitter with this. <laughs> Faggy. Maybe one day you'll you'll uh, meet and you can you can bond over your shared love of quilted vests. Yeah, yeah, sure. This is a thing that one could do. Why are we talking quilted vests this evening? That's Glenn? a damn good question that I hope you're gonna about to answer. Hope it's rhetorical. The quilted vest question uh, arises naturally from the fact that in 1966, Patrick McGowan started the long-running TV spy series Danger Man, resigned at the height of that show's popularity to create a new series about a spy who resigns from government service and wakes up in a mysterious, inescapable village where each resident, well, most residents, are referred to only by their numbers. Real and provocative, silly and pretentious, ahead of its time, and innately and unambiguously and lavadlampedly of its time, that short-lived, long-tailed series was called The Prisoner. It was. Furthermore. In 1994, Mel Gibson, the New York-born semi-Australian who shot to international prominence with the success of The Road Warrior, a.k.a. Mad Max 2 in the rest of the world, and who People Magazine named the sexiest man alive before Lethal Weapon and its three sequels confirmed his place on the A-list, a position from which nothing could ever possibly dislodge him, chose for his second project as director Randall Wallace's fanciful epic screenplay about the Scottish folk hero William Wallace, who was publicly disemboweled in 1305, nine years before his countrymen fought off their English occupiers at Bannockburn. The film that quickly emerged in the summer of 1995 was a critical and commercial hit nominated for 10 Academy Awards and winning five, including Best Picture and Best Director for Gibson, who, according to some reports, had agreed to play the film's starring role only when that became necessary to secure the film's $70 million production budget. Brutally violent and blissfully romantic, poetic and preposterous, an unabashed throwback in its time, and embraced by Pat Robertson and Newt Gingrich in its time. Makes sense. Checks out. Checks out. That film was called William, King of Scots. Mm-hmm. Mel Gibson. Braveheart. No, it's called Braveheart. No, it's called Braveheart. 
Almost done. Okay. Get your grading pen out, Petri. Okay. Uh, oh, this thing. Oh, this fucking thing. I forget about that. I forget about it every time. And then Glenn is under examination now. Welcome, Petri. Welcome, everyone, to the Private Personal by Hand Tangent Tolerant, properly punctuated, punch card-driven podcast where we take this unclassifiable and unforgettable television series, The Prisoner, and related documents. And we push it like it's a battering ram into the flaming gate of York. <laughs> oh, do, wait, do I have to have a scale? Yes, you do. For... Oh six, yeah, one to six. I think my scale be thistles. Yeah. yeah, zero to six, six thistles, like uh, uh, <laughs> elegiacally <laughs> deposited thistles. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna give that a solid two thistles because I feel like you're building to something. Oh God, no! Oh Jesus! Oh, maybe not. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I'll, at least I give you a, a plus number so we can always go downhill. Oh, okay. No, that's that's two. Two is still gonna get you a get you a rover roar, but uh, mm-hmm. no take backs. No take backs. I think two is a little harsh. I think it is pithy. I think it is uh, apropos, although I, I, I do not rigidly adhere to, to that standard the way that you do, Glenn. I'm going to give that a five. I appreciate that. We file it like the steel tips of our arrows that are very expensive, unlike the Irish, because the dead cost nothing. <laughs> God damn it. Okay, I like that one. I'm going to give that four thistles because I like the Irish costing nothing when they were dead. <laughs> 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 I want that as a pull quote. I like the Irish calls the other. I like the different people. The Washington Post. I like, I oh, like yes. That. That's my paraphrases. <laughs> Ultimately, my downfall. All right. That's a, that's a perfect six. Move on. Move on, motherfucker. We stamp it like we're the horses of the English cavalry, causing the very ground at the Battle of Stirling Bridge to shudder. I'm back to twos on that one. <laughs> it was just, a, it was, the bridge was shaking and it did happen to be the cavalry, but it didn't feel integral the way the other ones felt. I, I wish I'd moved the first one up higher on the scale. I, I don't like you mixing in actual history with my ahistorical epic, Glenn. The fact that this movie gives us uh, a very thrilling and brilliantly staged Battle of Sterling Bridge. Sands Bridge, bridge. is going to hurt you in this regard, so, so that's a thrill. That's a thrill. We index it. Alexander, this is always the hardest one. We index it. Uh, we index it like it's a statistical measure of change. I got nothing here. I can't do it. There's nothing here. Oh. There's nothing here. I can't do it. There's not. I, I, I throw my kilt up. I can't do it. I think I'm going to give you another two just for throwing the kilt up. <laughs> and see, again, this is where my uh, merciful streak continues to, to wound me. I'm going to give you a four because there is some, some kilt throwing up in this movie. There is some mooning. Yep. And, and the then we of see a couple of those guys, like, right, yeah, sunning. Right, right. sunning. That's what I have. Sunning, in my yeah, notes. sunning. That's exactly right. right. Yep. I do like that. Uh, several of those guys immediately get hit, like punctured in, the butt. in their buttocks by, yeah, by I arrows. I didn't appreciate like, the man. consequence immediately <laughs> yeah. following the exposure. It's uh, hubris. It's the, it's the Greek definition of hubris. Actually, getting an arrow yeah. up your butt. Look, I mean, I'm I'm about to make a broad generalization about an entire an entire swath of people, Good. but it, I'm going to say it about white people, so it's fine. It's, that's very Scottish to me. The Scots I've met, the people I've encountered in my travels to Scotland, that that seems like a very Scottish thing. So four, four. Okay. We brief it like we're a Scot reporting to the Duke of York that Wallace is approaching. <laughs> briefing. A solid three. <laughs> <laughs> I think a briefing is usually uh, comprised of more than one sentence. Mm. Uh, Arguable. Okay. Three. We debrief it like so many kilted Scotsmen. 
though the fact that Scotsmen didn't wear kilts until well into the 16th century is only one of a great steaming pile of historical inaccuracies that this film blithely advances. Oh, I like that because I learned something. Um, I'm going to give that six thistles. Wow. Okay. You you are uh, just just ping-ponging among extremes. Okay. (laughs) I... I'll continue to be the the boring centrist. I'm the I'm the fucking mansion. The third four. Okay. Mansion in the hills. All right. Mansion on houseboat. All right. Four. We number it like what the elixir given to Wallace by Isabel does to him the night before he is drawn and quartered. He is number. <laughs> okay, six, six. Uh, I, I, all right. That was a groaner, and I liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to give you uh, a two on that, Glenn, only because he is shown to be spitting it out. It's true. He does. That is such bullshit. I was, I was looking elsewhere. A movie that has no shortage of Gibson deification and uh, self self worship. This this is I, this is only nine years before he makes the Passion of the Christ. You think? I, think. Oh, I mean, my, my God. God, this is the this is the rough draft of the Passion <laughs> yeah. of the Christ. Oh my God! No, when he was coming in on, on his little cross, I was like, Oh, he's doing it. Watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so wait, did he spit it out after he kissed her? Who was the star of Passion of the Christ, Glenn? Oh, Jim Caviezel. That's right, Jim Caviezel, who played number six in the AMC remake of The Prisoner that we have not yet discussed. Yes. Did he spit it out after he kissed her a lot? He kissed her a lot, and then he spit it out later? Oh, that was a terrible kiss. I I would like to see a diagram of his mouth. Yeah, Um, (laughs) he's he's got pockets. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, so I think Sophie Marceau was, uh, yeah, she was making out with him a little in the cell just to make sure that he that he swallowed whatever uh, whatever 13th century um, <laughs> numbing agent that was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how how advanced was chemistry? Uh, I mean, you know, at that time, what do you what do you think? I think it was still alchemy at that to... point. I don't <laughs> That's know. right. His tongue <laughs> turned they... to gold. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this movie. Okay. Let's get into I didn't it. Realize, I have to say, going into it, I didn't realize it was a prequel to Edward II. <laughs> no, <laughs> right? <laughs> that was not something I was... I guess I should have known just from the time period and who was involved, but I just... I didn't realize that it was like leading in to Marlowe's classic. There's a lot of a lot of confusion here. There, there was also a, a sequel film that apparently came out in 2019 wherein uh, Angus McFadden... Uh-huh. I think he's, he's Robert the Bruce. Yes, re- he is. Re- reprised the role and I, you know a film that like grossed hundreds and hundreds of dollars that uh, I don't recall ever ever hearing about but I also think Braveheart was the nickname or the if that's the right term given to to Robert the Bruce yep. so William Wallace was not was not the Braveheart <laughs> so that's again why they should have called the movie William King of Scots yeah this is a two hour and 58 minute love letter from Mel Gibson to Mel Gibson this is a wildly (laughs) self-indulgent movie oh my god oh yeah I've always wondered like what would it be like to have a story where like you got to be the protagonist of everything and you would know that when you were absent people were also talking (laughs) positively about you and saying how cool you were and how much they wished that like you could give them love that a man had never given them and I'm like oh this movie (laughs) is that fulfillment it's like it's like a story you tell yourself to put yourself to sleep at night Mm -hmm. like it's yeah like truly like and if your kink is to be tortured in front of lots of people I think it's safe to say Mel Gibson's kink <laughs> might be. Uh, yeah. You get, you get just to sit there and on your cross and get disemboweled and 
and say freedom a lot. In the first Lethal Weapon, he is chained up and, and tortured uh, for a little while. So, I mean, there is the like an emerging motif here, <laughs> even long before he, he began directing films himself. But I, I have one more thing of great import to say before we really get into it. It's that our inquiry into this unclassifiable yeah. and... Uh, unforgettable television series and and tenuously related tenuously documents. Related. It's it's a, not of a degree pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Nope. It's not of a degree noncommittal. Nope. It's not of a degree equivocal. Uh huh. What is it, Glenn? It's of a degree absolute. This is proof in the pudding right here. <laughs> that, Jesus. That is the title of our show, but men do not follow titles; they follow courage. Yeah, good <laughs> lord, the toxic masculinity in those oh my, movies. The, I, I loved how it, they just really wanted us to know that all the Scottish people fighting with Mel Gibson were like very heterosexual and just like aggressively so. They just kept like every few minutes they would be like, "But this is because of women, because we love women." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, here's our butts, but we love women. I mean, like, yeah. And this movie is homophobic in the extreme, but it's it's. Yeah. I had a hard time getting angry at it because. It is so, it is the notion of homosexuality that a fifth grade boy possesses. There is no lived experience. There is no bite to it. There's no insight. It's just this cartoon idea of what homosexuals are like. It is comically ignorant. The only reason to get mad at it is because it is so proud of how (laughs) ignorant it is and how weirdly adamant it is about, about this is what the fags are like. Are you drawing a stark distinction here between that and this film's incredibly nuanced and mature examination of heterosexual relationships? Well, I'm saying it it is so homophobic that it comes right around to being misogynistic because it's feminacy, which is bad. Anything that is not men making dick jokes at each other is bad and flawed. I actually was going back and reading press accounts from the time, from 1995, when Gibson was doing his promo tour for this. I found a long feature, and I think it was Austin New Times, but it was <clears throat> it was Matt Zoller Seitz was the author of this thing, where it sounds like he got a lot of time to talk to, to Gibson and, and talk to him uh, about the charges that this film was was homophobic and to you know which again that was not part of the discourse that i was reading about this in 95 i definitely remembered you know reading all the stuff in the in the post uh uh, opinion section about how like like pat robertson talking about how much he loved this movie and and you know gingrich and the like the whole republican revolution when congress flipped in 94 there's a populist bullshit thing happening here there is yeah 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 yeah. um other than edward the longshanks throwing his his son's lover out the window. What are we talking about here specifically? Oh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We're going to we're going to go in a scene by scene breakdown and like this it is outstanding. It is, it is impregnated literally, although, you know, ironically <laughs> into every frame of this film. It's just this reflexive, boring, stupid idea of what gays do that is just it's it's like I don't think Gibson is um, smart. <laughs> I don't think he's a smart man. I don't think he's an intelligent man who allows his view of the world to be changed by fucking anything. So um, it, I, I can't get mad at this film's homophobia because it's it's so it's so puerile. It's so basic. It's also like he's never met a person of any kind in, in addition to... <laughs> it's true. Like, I have to give the cast, like, a lot of credit for delivering, like, risible lines consistently in a way that didn't make me think... Like, if, if the budget were, like, one inch worse, and if, like, the cast were one inch worse, they, it would be, like, hysterically, obviously bad throughout, and the fact that it wasn't... Right. It, it, there's a very fine edge that it 
somehow manages to muscle over so that only when you've written down the words people were forced to say, you realize, oh, golly. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, well, Gibson didn't write this. That was uh, Randall Wallace. No relation. Really? Really? Are we sure about I that? I think he must have been a relation. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He's probably a descendant of George Wallace. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, checks out. <laughs> I do think Gibson is a good director. Maybe that's more an instinctive thing like acting than an, than an intellectual exercise. I mean, I'm not not defending this film against uh, homophobia or anything, but I, I do think as a, as a piece of filmmaking, it's a pretty impressive document coming from a guy who had made one movie prior to this. And what was that movie? It was The Man Without a Face. It oh, was a yeah. very, like a fraction of the budget, a fraction of the scale, a fraction of the, yeah. I mean, this, this was a big, big swing mm-hmm. for only a, a, a second film. And uh, I guess it's exactly what Dances with Wolves was five years earlier. And I, I have not seen Dances with Wolves in 30 years, so I don't know how that movie holds up. No, no, no. But we got a lot to get through here. I got five yeah. pages of notes, so we should start. I'm going oh, yeah, to tick off the plot. You guys should interrupt with any insights you have, but I'm going to tick it off. This is Great. Braveheart, uh, made in 1995. Uh, we get some helicopter shots of crags and bluffs and looks. Uh, it is Scotland, 1280 AD. William Wallace is the person we're going to be following. The King of Scotland has died without a son. The King of England, known as Edward the Longshanks, uh, has, um, is, is very cruel. The nobles of Scotland. This information is coming to us in a voiceover. And that's in a voiceover. It's we don't know the who. Bruce, right? We, isn't it? Isn't it the it Robert, is Robert the Bruce? We don't find that. Okay. We don't later. know that yet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's the spoilers. nobles of Scotland right. are invited to a parlay with no weapons and one page only. They have to be off book. Uh, a local farmer... <laughs> <laughs> named Wallace has two sons, John, who's older, and William Younger, who is um, rocking a Padawan braid or two. Um, he is the feral yes. kid from the Road Warrior. Is I he? I thought he looked familiar. I knew he looked familiar. <laughs> oh, I, God. No, he's oh, not, okay. because by the time this movie was made, that kid was an adult. All but right. he looks like him, right? right. Yeah, same hairstyle, yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. They they got a little Gibson, and, and I did watch the special features thing where, where little William Wallace and little Murrin, we see them about 15 years later as adults, and they look like movie stars. Okay. They, they grew up into strikingly attractive people, both of them. Okay. That's reassuring. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're both kind of attractive as kids, but I'm not going to go any farther down that road. William, he wants to goo, but he cannot goo. <laughs> to uh, to this parlay. Uh, they come to the hut of this meeting where the nobles and their pages have been killed and hanged. Uh, William has followed them. He gets freaked out, as you would. The farmers gather and resolve to fight back with no hope of winning. Again, William wants to goo, but he cannot goo. Um, and then his father tells him, it's our wits that make us men. And then he says, see you tomorrow. Now, he's going to go <laughs> off to battle... And then uh, there's going to be a battle. And, like, it's not a thing. It's not like an overnight. It's not like... It's just a... Like, uh, it must be just in the next look. It's a very convenient battle. It's a it's very a convenient it, battle. And they've scheduled it for a tight time frame. <laughs> uh, English soldiers come by, and young William and his friend Hamish uh, play at fighting. They're rough house, but they don't have a house, so it's more a rough hut or a rough lean to and what they have so a hilarious fake punch sound effect when wallace punches hamish or hamish punches wallace i can't remember which I think one hamish but... punches wallace it's sort of his defining yeah, character yeah, yeah. thing is he punches people the all the bloody fighting later in this movie is very convincing for the most part but that punch was hysterical yep uh that night william while an owl hoots uh keeps an eye out for his <laughs> da and his brother are they there nay uh, the farmers come back with the bodies. Uh, J.R. Mormont, played by James Cosmo. Like, this l- 
guy looks almost as old as he did in Game of Thrones because he was haggard here. He gets even more haggard in Game of Thrones. Yeah, I had forgotten that Brendan Gleeson was in this. Oh, yeah, sure. I had forgotten that Brian Cox is in this very Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Brian Cox. Uncle Argyle. Uncle Argyle. Yeah, I loved Uncle Argyle because I I loved his tough love approach where he, he shows up and he's like, you didn't. He's like, I don't want to leave. And he goes, you didn't want your father to die <laughs> <I> know, either. <laughs> Shut up, bitch. But yeah. then, you know, for a guy who's who's had the, the child foisted upon him by circumstance, he seems like a pretty good foster dad. He's he like, does, well, he What, does. you don't speak Latin? Going to teach oh, him Latin? We'll, we'll have to remedy that, you know, and then I'm going to take you on tour to Rome and France. And yeah, so, as we find out later, it's like William Wallace had this incredible study abroad <laughs> with yeah. Argyle. He did not let the kid get in the way of his lifestyle. He was going to travel. He, he backpacked gonna... through Europe. He stayed at hostels. At the yeah. burial, this is before we get there. At the burial, oh, yeah. we glimpse the love interest, a young Murrin, uh, and Murin. there's a cutaway shot where she hands him the thistle, and it, I, I just have to say, it involves hand models who are 20 years older than these children, <laughs> and it's like, what's going on here? I don't know. Movie magic. I don't know what's going on there. The fact that one of them had the E.T. finger also kind of took me out of the movie. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It was off. Uh, he dreams of his da, telling him his heart is free. Have the courage to follow it. Pipers play outlawed tunes of outlawed pipes over the bodies. And then he leaves his farmstead. Anything else we want to say about this little section here? Well, two things. McGowan shows up in this movie before Mel Gibson does. Uh-huh. And Mel Gibson shows up at minute 22. So I, I had forgotten this whole prologue with the kids who, as as someone who rarely has anything kind to say about child actors, I think they're both pretty good. Yeah. I think they're pretty good. Okay. I agree. I, th- I think the child actors did a good job. I do think... Of all the things that happen in slow motion in this movie, I mm-hmm. wonder why the thistle handoff had to be one of them. Because, <laughs> like, battle, like, armies running to one another. Absolutely, yeah. Like, that costs a lot to set up. Do it in slow motion so we can really see all the detail. But the thistle handoff, I just felt like it raised all the questions that you had. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, without that, the film would only be two hours and 57 oh minutes God. long. So <laughs> That's true. We, you know. All right, so we cut to London many years later. Patty McGee. Oh. He looks so good here. He looks intimidating. He looks as incredible. Fuck. Really good. And if you ever want to see, yeah. Christy, your question. If you ever want to see what homophobia looks like, the first shot we get of Edward II, played by Peter Hanley, is he's looking all soft and shifty at his wedding while his bride fixes him with this praising stare. And then Patrick uh, in the in the audience is looking at this guy with the same appraising stare. Um, and then Edward II turns away from his bride to cruise his trick, is his paramour, and it is so fucking over-the-top obvious that it's not so much dramatic as it's kind of pantomime. This is what I mean. This is like, this is how yeah, we communicate yeah, to yeah. people, here's a gay guy, <laughs> and here is this. And what I like about this scene, actually, is that uh, someone has dyed Patrick McGowan's eyebrows brown. So when he pops an eyebrow, we can see it. It registers. We can see it on screen. I think I can actually tell you who the likely suspect who did the dying was because the little Magoon clip on the behind the scenes is so brief that uh, it cuts immediately to a makeup artist talking about... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how, how much Patrick McGowan enjoyed being such a baddie. And then we get to uh, Mel Gibson talking about how, well, he just looks so Irish that we had to give him a plantagenet nose. Yes, um, that's right. And then back back to the makeup artist saying like, oh, I don't think he enjoyed the nose that much. So so they're kind of padding for, for Patty. He gave them like 11 seconds of, well, Mel 
called me and we talked and here I am. He read the script and I said, what do you think of the character? And he went, oh, he's diabolical. And I said, yeah, did you want to do it? And he looked at me and he went, <laughs> he starts laughing at lunch. I'm like, whoa, I start looking around like, what's funny? Uh, and I said, he can do it. He's making me very uneasy. He can be, he could do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I got a call that Mel Gibson wanted to uh, meet with me uh, in California. And uh, I don't know how that arose. Obviously, he made a mistake. Uh, and uh, we talked, and uh, here I am. I think that being such a baddie, playing him as, as such a, a, a cold villain, amused him immensely. I think it appealed to him to be you know, slightly theatrical in a contained way and a believable villain. I don't know if he ever really got used to the nose, but he was a very good sport <laughs> about it. He's so Irish-looking, but we had to give him Plantagenet look, which we did, so he had to fashion a, a kind of a Plantagenet kind of classic nose for him, which changed his appearance totally. It made him really scary. But this scene with his counsel uh, after the wedding, this is... This is the Patrick McGowan I want. This is the only Patrick McGowan I want. This is, oh, he's so classic. So good. He hits yes. the terminal word in the sentence. If we cannot rule the whole of our own island. Like he hits it <laughs> and it's like, yes, thank you. This is what I have been wanting in every fucking movie we've tried to watch for this podcast. That you haven't been doing this. Do this. Scotland. My land. The French will profit to anyone with strength. But how will they believe our strength when we cannot rule the whole of our own island? I was keeping the counter, the Magoon counter. In this movie, in total, you get 15 minutes. But really? they are such good They're minutes. So solid. Really, oh, really yeah. good. Concentrated. Yeah. It, it felt longer than 15 minutes, but in a good way, as yeah. opposed to in the mm -hmm. way that I usually say when something felt longer than it did. I mean, the, the trouble with Scotland is that it's full of Scots. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. my goodness. And then he looks around uh, for, like, he knows it's a good line, and he's looking around yeah. for, like, appraisal, <laughs> like, of course. Where is my son? Pardon me, Lord. He asked me to come in his stead. I sent for him, and he sends you. Shall I leave, my Lord? If he wants his queen to rule when I am gone, then by all means stay. Learn how. Please. Nobles. Nobles are the key to the door of Scotland. Grant our nobles lands in the north, give their nobles estates here in England, and make them too greedy to oppose us. But, sir, our nobles will be reluctant to uproot. New lands mean new taxes, and they're already taxed for the war in France. And in this first scene, he is called upon to do heavy lift for Patrick McGowan. He is called to look lustfully at his daughter-in-law, who has been sent by his son to the council meeting in his stead, presumably because the son wants to go wander Hempstead Heath or whatever he wants to do. There's something that the son is wanting to do. Trouble with Scotland is that it's full of Scots. <laughs> Perhaps the time has come to reinstitute an old custom. Grant them prima nocte. First night, when any common girl inhabiting their lands is married, 
Our nobles shall have sexual rights to her on the night of her wedding. If we can't get them out, we'll bleed them out. That should fetch just the kind of lords we want to Scotland. Taxes or no taxes, eh? <laughs> the most excellent idea, sire. Is it? The sight of her inspires him to send English nobles north to claim Scottish lands and to grant them first night the right to strip any newly married commoners. We're supposed to read that as him <laughs> lusting after her, right? Am I uh. wrong? Well, I think also the voiceover was like, we. the rumor was that he had to take her to bed if they were going to produce any offspring at all because, yep. you know, his son was just... Mel Gibson's understanding of him was such that he wouldn't it wouldn't work um. <laughs> yeah it's it's a weird bit of uh, editorializing by the Bruce there right because because otherwise his his voiceover is absent that kind of speculation and also um, yeah I didn't really get that from McGowan's performance oh. there like he remains fully asexual for me like I got creepy old corrupt evil emperor vibe I did not get dirty old man okay. vibe all right. Well, <laughs> one can tell. Well, it remains to be seen. Uh, the button on this scene is great where um, after he says his whole prima nocta thing, <laughs> one of his his lackeys says, and the most excellent idea, sire. And he goes, is it? <laughs> Out of nowhere. Is it? For no reason. <laughs> hatred. Pure, unadorned <laughs> hatred. It's it's so good. Is it? Minutes. Yeah. My God, I can't believe it's just 15 minutes because he's so good. I want you to talk me through your viewing experience here, Glenn, where we cut immediately from that. And I know your, your endorphins are just firing. And then enter... Mel Gibson. Uh, no, actually, at this point, we cut to Edinburgh, where Scottish nobles are gathering for a confab, including Robert the Bruce, the Weasley Robert the Bruce, who seems yeah, from yeah. the jump, he seems kind of shifty and less than forthcoming about the status of his father. Uh, and then he keeps casting word looks up to the um, uh, abutments, crenellations. Yeah, crenellations. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what, the, wow. what they're called, but like something. Crenellations? Yeah. The battlements, yeah. which are crenellated, the yeah. Thing with the Cren- up and down yeah. Okay. The up and down you things. know those are crenellated. They're absolutely, they're, those are crenellated as, as balls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, no, it, I do like he sort of like addresses the camera a little bit. He sort of toasts us with yes. his drink um, in case we wanted to know later whether he was narrating for real. Have we seen any other Angus McFadden films? I, I don't think I have. No, I mean, I, I, I know the name because how can you not know the name? <laughs> it's a he seems like a guy who would have done a lot of commercials. And oh. uh, he looks so much like Jonathan Frakes with the mustache that, that uh, I true. kept getting confused. It's true. Yeah, was he on Murder, She Wrote? I feel like he might have been. <laughs> Feels like he should have been. Maybe. So anyway, up in the ramparts or the crenellations, whatever, there's a hooded figure skulking. Then we get, this is what you wanted to mention, Chris. We get an adult William Wallace with Fabio mm-hmm. hair. There's no other way to say it. It is Fabio hair, which probably didn't look as weird in the 80s or the 90s, I guess, as it does now. It just looks. He's got like a perm. He's got a strange a perm. complete perm. <laughs> he grew his hair out, but he didn't grow it out that much. Nope. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of hair extensions happening. The result is even longer and more thickly forested than uh, suicidal Martin Riggs in the original Lethal Weapon. That's right. Riggs had a big, big mullet going mm-hmm. on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So but unfortunately, like, everyone else in Scotland has, like, bigger, wilder hair. So he he's like, he just, like, this is, like, the masculine standard. Like, it's I don't have, like, a fancy perm. Still it's like... with a Padawan braid, but still, yeah. like, it's kind yep. of decorously <laughs> at the side. 
<laughs> there is a festival, festivizing. Uh, he makes eyes at this girl, and then he and Hamish, played by Brendan Gleeson, um, yes. I almost recognize it because he seems so young, uh, enact the ancient... I think this is the movie that really launched him internationally, you know? His like, after this, so he's in, he's in AI, and he's in... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I think this was the first movie that was seen widely outside of Europe that he was, he was in. Uh, yeah, my he, note says, he gave Hamish a concussion! Um, <laughs> yes. They enact the ancient Scottish rite of toxic masculinity where they just throw fucking rocks at each other. That moment, yeah. <laughs> they do the scene from Bull Durham where Kevin Costner tells wild Tim Robbins, like, I don't care how big your pitching arm is. You can't hit me with a baseball. If I just stand here, you can't do it because you're going to, I'm going to psych you out. It is the same, same, You can dodge a wrench, scene. you can dodge a ball. Yes, that's exactly what's going on there. I'd be more willing to take that chance with a baseball than with a giant fucking ball. Older, yeah. but yep. you know everything larger than life, larger than life. So English soldiers come to this festival. An English lord wearing—I couldn't get over this—the helmet, the exact same helmet that John Cleese is wearing <laughs> as the French taunter <laughs> in Holy Grail. Uh, distracted me throughout the movie. <laughs> you to think, what are you, you're supposed to be English. It's a French helmet. He's played by Rupert Vanistart, uh, John Royce from Game of Thrones. There are many Game of Thrones actors yeah, in yeah. infancy here, but like. He claims first night, it is my noble right, he says. Then uh, William and Murren go for a ride in the rain. It's a whole new world on a magic carpet during ride. The ride. Once she gets on the horse, the rain stops. And they there are a lot of weather rain. changes during yep. that. Like, that ride seems to last several months. In, they, yeah. uh, well, you know, it's, it's a change of a land in Scotland. You know, this is where I have a note that says, what temperature is it in Scotland? Because, <laughs> right. like... He's never wearing sleeves. Everyone else is wearing sleeves. Everyone else seems to sort of have a clothing yeah. that implies what the weather is. And he's always, like, sleeveless. He's got his bare legs. Like, I mean, yeah, they're sculpting. I think it kind of works in, in that scene because, oh, it's the bloom of romance and, and blah, blah, blah. But there was also a, a perfectly pragmatic sort of angle on this where, again, in the um, behind-the-scenes things, it's like we had three months to shoot this. Uh, they actually leave Scotland and shoot the rest of it in Ireland at one point because of, they can't get the Scottish locations that they want or something but um apparently mel decreed early on we're not waiting for the weather shoot 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 and if the weather changes in a scene eh, <laughs> we're, we're not gonna worry about it so on this magic carpet ride that uh william and uh good scottish weather on, he gives her the flower that she gave him the thistle that she gave him because he presses flowers because he's probably a nancy if he presses flowers that's the description of masculinity that this film is yeah, uh, no, advancing. real men press flowers and wear <laughs> skirts. And, uh, men who attend, who don't attend councils of war are the least masculine. Well, this is it. He's summoned a strange... to a war meeting, but he yeah. refuses to go no. because he says he wants to live peacefully, which impresses Murren's dad. His crops. Uh, that night, he sort of proposes to Murren. Uh, he says he's always Catherine loved McCormack. Her. We should Catherine McCormack is is Murren, who um, I had not seen in very many other things. Very beautiful, it's true. Very She's uh, you know classic sort of. Phenomenal. Her teeth are uh, uh, anachronistic, shall we say? <laughs> she is a mere sixteen years Gibson's junior, which by the standards of the time is not particularly egregious, but still not great. Didn't, they didn't oh, something I meant to look up was how much older than. She, her mother was, because I felt like her <laughs> yeah. mother was just wearing a very unflattering hat and was actually the same age. <laughs> it was Angela Lansbury, and uh, she right. was two years older. <laughs> but he says he's always loved her, and I get a weird Anakin Padme kind of vibe to yes, that. Because yes. they have only seen each other when they were tops. 
shots. Now, again, apparently he's 16 years older than she is, so <laughs> there must have been some thyroid thing happening there. I don't know exactly He was not uh, not sowing his royal oats. Royal oats? Sowing his, his, his uh, you know, salt <laughs> his of the earth uh, commoner oats. oats. His steel-cut oats. His steel-cut yeah. oats. Yeah, oh, still that'll be later Oaks. in the movie. That was not part of his worldly education, courtesy of Uncle Argyle, apparently. Uncle Argyle. Yeah, so the, this... the whole, like, when my sons arrived, like, the whole proposal was very, like, I'm amazed that, like, there wasn't a generation <laughs> of men who tried this at bars. And maybe oh, there was, and I just missed there it. Was. it was. There like, were. When my <laughs> sons arrive, we'll be able to work the farm. <laughs> oh, you got sons? No, want to help? Yeah. Oh, you want to marry... <laughs> I hope you'll marry me. Are you asking me? It was just like, oh my gosh. Okay. He's, like, he's, he went to a PUA seminar while yeah. he was in Rome. He has the hat. He's mystery. He's totally mystery. He's negging her in a right. big old And way. he mentions the sons. And I, I thought immediately of of the, the Dune moment about the Benny Gesserit. The, like, you were, you were told to, to bear him only They're daughters. Only and you bore him a son. <laughs> you irresponsible witch. So they steal off in the dead of night. She's got a go bag prepared, which I like. I like. I like that she's she's prepared. Mm-hmm. They get married in secret at his family's grave. Right? Is that it's a very nice Celtic cross at the family's grave? I think. Uh, was that what oh, that was? What was? I, didn't, okay. I, I also liked his drawing, which I couldn't have told what meant, like <laughs> yeah. marry me in a glade, <laughs> but right. it turns out that's what his it's, little drawing is. <laughs> Crazy hieroglyph. I love it. It's like you. a rebus puzzle. Always hop. <laughs> like you plus me. <laughs> uh, so they have some very chaste, saving themselves from marriage, very Mel Gibson Catholic sex. Um, yeah, very so Top Gun energy, I would say. Very, and she's clearly got a UTI. I mean, are there cranberries in Scotland? Who knows? But like, she's doomed because like they have saved themselves from marriage, and he is going to town. Um, they are observed together by a leering. British soldier um, who first accosts her and then says the perfectly gross this is how you are code me for a villain line you remind me of my daughter before he assaults her uh, his name is Smythe because of course it is Mm. (laughs) can you think of a more egregiously evil British name than Smythe yeah, Smith, but evil. Um, <laughs> That's right. I can, and it is actually uh, Roger Moore's cover name in A View to a Kill. It is Sir Something Sinjin Smythe. Okay. Mm, Sinjin yeah, Smythe is more I evil. will yeah. see your Smythe and raise you a Sinjin. Um, she does a pretty good job of defending herself, of fighting him off, before um, Mel totally swoops in and sends her off with soldiers chasing her. And then he parkours over thatched huts in a big old way. Yeah. Um, I didn't think that Mel Gibson was going to fly into a vengeful rage when his woman was attacked. That was a real know, twist. Seems, seems <laughs> off brand, right? It's really uh, playing against type for old Mel. Oh, man. <laughs> and then he totally TK-421's a soldier. Uh, totally takes their kit. Totally takes their, um, their costume, which is very fitting, as we will come to see. And then he says, I'll go to, I'll go to meet you at the Grove. But she's been captured and tied to My a My favorite post. part of L.A. Um. <laughs> That's right. It's Second you. Grove joke on this podcast. <laughs> That's right. And what's the guy's name? What's the, who's the extra host? Um, Mario Lopez. Mario Lopez hosting uh, Extra at the Grove. Um, All right. This, this story point, and again, I am the person who has seen this film before amongst the three of us, uh-huh. still kind of confusing for me. Like, I still need that backfilled later. That appeared to be just a random sexual assault, and it's only later Wallace says to... French queen, what's her name, that the local magistrate attacked her to get to me. Or... Yeah, I thought they were, he was like retconning it. I was yeah. confused. Yeah. I think, I think it's a retcon. 
I thought this would have to happen in response to the Prima Nocturne, like the same dude coming along and being like, all right, Murren, first night, here we go. It really looks like just a random assault that he interrupts. No, I think I think it is, and then it becomes retconned. Um, mm. She's yeah. to be made an example of the sheriff, who is played by Malcolm Tierney, who is the Imperial officer in Star Wars, who questions TK421 about what they're oh, doing with Chewbacca. Wow. I didn't oh, where are you him. taking this thing? Where are you taking this <laughs> thing? Prisoner transfer from cell block 1138. This whole thing comes together, of course, of course, of course. An assault on the king's soldiers is the same as an assault on the king himself. She slices her throat, uh, but we don't see it. I think this is... Yeah, I thought her death was tasteful. Yeah, it's from the back. I hate to fucking defend this guy, but I think Mel Gibson is a good director. I mean, he makes that moment really brutal and awful and shocking, but doesn't, like, revel in it. Because he wants you to revel in it when the when dude gets him. his revenge. <laughs> yeah, yes, Chris. Yeah. Yes. His judgment about this is sound, you know. And again, it's it's probably instinctive. I don't think it's intellectual. In service of wanting a dumb thing, but I think it's the correct choice to get there. I agree. I agree. So this is, he's stuffing his female character in a fridge to uh, make the dude uh, feel like he needs to avenge it. Love it as a motive. The best motive. Never (laughs) seen it. Groundbreaking. It's the only motive in all of Western literature. No, Uh, but it's good because, like, yeah, it tells you how everyone's, like, heterosexually motivated and we're all going (laughs) to go fight for the women, which was a prima nocta thing, and also Murin. And it's just like, okay. Because they're weak and I am strong. Uh, He says, let this scrapper come to me. And he does. And he does come to him in slow-mo. Um... This part of the movie felt very Assassin's Creed Valhalla to me, which I had just finished doing. It's set 400 years before, but, like, the technology of, like, forts hasn't evolved much in 400 years. It's still kind of wooden pikes. He takes out the English with, among other things, a deer antler, you know, so it's a whole Ewoks rise up (laughs) vibe we're getting here. We all remember that moment when the the Ewok took the antlers and just fucking jammed it right into the carotid (laughs) artery of the stormtrooper. You just get under the helmet a little bit. They, they cut away from that, but like you, you sense it's imminent. Yeah, yeah totally. There's a couple of shots of them mauling a stormtrooper. <laughs> nub nub. Uh, arrows. Uh, he's climbing the tower. He gets into the tower, and then it's just the sheriff and William Wallace. And then this time we do see the throat slice. I think this again. This is what we're talking about. This is yeah, the, yeah, yeah. If you want to manipulate your audience, this is how you do it. Um, Murren gets buried. We hear the lamentations of their women. Um, okay, here again, plot point. Do you think James Cosmo and the other Scots, they just saw Wallace killing some soldiers and joined in? Or had he gone to them before and said, like, all right, I'm in. We're, we're staging our uprising. Wait for me to start. And then, you know, because it seemed like they were all kind of ready. Like they were in position, right, to, to follow him into the fray. So my oh, I thought they just saw him and they thought, wow, he, t- he took half of them. We can get the other half. Okay. We've been yeah. waiting for this our whole lives. All right. But- That's my thing. Um, they cauterize the old guy's wound, and he's like, yeah, whatever, I'm fine. That was great. I, I, I love when they cauterize the yeah. wound. Masculinity's a prison. We're good. Yay. They grab the arrow, and you think that you want to rip out the arrow, and they just break it, which seems oh. like it would And that happens twice. That James Cosmo, but then I think Wallace does it later. 
Mm-hmm. It would seem like it would be harder to get it out. If but you it, if don't you want to get it out because then you start bleeding profusely, I think. Mm-hmm. I think you have to break it off oh, and then, like... Keep it in until someone has a hot yeah. poker to cauterize your... Until it <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, the McGregors come Sepsis and join their cause. Yeah, right. And then we're back with the English Lord in his muddiest work. This is the English Lord with John Cleese's helmet. Um... The English patrol returns, but it's actually Wallace and his men in English drag, and they kill the guy, and his last words are, it was my right, which I think is a good, like, if you're going to be manipulative and be that guy, then be that guy. Um, Wallace spares the rest of the fort. He goes back to England, tells them to go back to England and tell them Scotland is free, and they burn the fort. Cut to uh, Longshanks. This is my favorite scene in the fucking movie. Um, because uh, Patty one hour, Kay, one hour back to Longshanks, who we we have not seen for forty two minutes. Oh my gosh, it felt like an eternity. Yeah, he is not blinking. When Paddy McGee is at his, the top of his game, he doesn't blink. <laughs> he says, "The Scottish rebels have routed yes! my garrisons," and it's like, "Drink, <laughs> drink." I'm here. This is this is what I'm here for. This whole movie is bullshit. This is the reason I am here. Scottish rebels have routed one of my garrisons and murdered the noble lord. I heard. This Wallace is a brigand, nothing more. And how would you deal with this brigand? Like any common thief, have the local magistrate arrest him and punish him accordingly. Wallace has already killed the magistrate and taken control of the town. Stand up. Stand up. In the morning, I depart for France to press our rights there, and I leave you here to quell this little rebellion. Understood? Is it? (laughs) One day you will be a king. At least try to act like one. Uh, He departs for France, leaving Edward in charge, who promptly... Uh, explodes at his wife, but not in the good, fun, sexy way. Um, the English army burns villages. They chase down various Scots, but then they get to jump on them. Then Robert the Bruce reports the uprising to his father. Who is Emperor Palpatine. Who yeah. is totally, he becomes <laughs> Emperor Palpatine. He's like Emperor Palpatine, like, right before he's visited by Mace Windu here. Like, it's like yeah. just and why? I, I think I actually looked up if that was Ian McDermott. It's not. It's very similar. You know, a handsome Scotsman who they who they buried under all that. What affliction is he supposed to it's have? Leprosy. leprosy? Mm-hmm. He advises his son to play both sides against the other, not to commit. The ability to compromise, he says, is what makes a man noble. Yeah, I wrote that down, too. It's a fucking There's Pelosi. A third way, a fucking politician. Like, like right. the politicians, <laughs> the bastards. No, this I, feel like, it. I feel like this guy should get some sort of special award for his ability to deliver lines like that in such a way that you don't really notice them until you write them down. But I, I feel <laughs> yep. like he has a lot of lines. Like, of course, all men are weak except for William Wallace. But it's it's whole, it's like neoliberalism, like the movie, right? It's like, there's a third way, laddie. <laughs> <laughs> Have you read the works of Ezra Klein? Uh, it's just like... <laughs> I'll just note here that the passing, the leprosy is giving him a bulbous and nose poem, that is very Clintonian. Uh, Matthew the Iglesias. That's right. Um, so more Wallace and his men being manly. They're slaughtering English soldiers. They're jogging a half marathon. Uh, and then we compare and contrast to Edward and his paramour who are walking down 
this hallway dressed as the Golden Girls, <laughs> preening in a mirror. Uh, and then the queen and her handmaid go off to a side and talk secretly in French. And they French. swoon over Wallace. This is the thing. That handmaiden is so good. That she's so good at the at the looks that she she's giving to Sophie Marceau. It's like, oh, isn't isn't he a dreamy gorilla rebel murderer? <laughs> Stinky Fabio. The handmaid. Like, you've tells, never known love. This is the thing. He tells the tale of Wallace. He tells the tale of Wallace like she's narrating his adventures. Like about this time, them Duke boys was coming over the ridge. It's like that's how she's narrating. <laughs> this thing and uh how manfully he defended the body of his wife actually she, she yeah, his, his wife. woman yeah woman. he protected his I woman know, I know from about the desecration woman. and then of course isabel is so sad because she'll never know love because homosexuality oh. is abomination if you didn't get it before if you didn't get the subtext of this fucking movie uh back yeah. at his camp wallace and if, if men, edward and isabella could have just been friends could have been like cool with each other yeah, sure. They could have just better. like defended each other in high school and like totally yeah. uh, protected them against the mean girls. Back <laughs> at his camp, Wallace and his men are eating manfully with their hands. Wallace says, <laughs> "In uh, the pot, shirts. right? Like that—that that is right? a pot that's on fire, and they're they just don't reaching have in and forks. <laughs> forks are for Edward. For the pansies <laughs> and the panty waists. Yes. How are they not searing their flesh when they're reaching into that pot? And they're Scottish. Yeah." <laughs> 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 Long I do like the moment when, when he's looking at the trees. Like, ah, oh, we will make spears. The- this is it. <laughs> they will send uh, a whole armed cavalry, and no army in 200 years has ever stood up to armed cavalry. They will make long spears, and then there's penis jokes immediately. As soon as the mention of long spears happen, there are penis jokes because subtext is for eggheads and pansies, and manly man just make everything text. That's that's the that's oh, the rule come we're following. On. Here. The three of us would probably have made the same joke, and that if we were talking about how to withstand a cavalry charge with spears. That we—that's—that's that's probably exactly how it would break down. I think you are being too harsh. I like the scenario where we're talking about how know, to withstand a cavalry charge <laughs> with spears. I uh, like that I'm there. Yeah, <laughs> like of course. You're, there too. <laughs> you're there to protect us. Yeah, yeah, sure. A couple more volunteers join, including a mad Irishman. Uh, yeah, so I did like. Excellent, Stephen is my name. <laughs> Excellent, <laughs> Stephen is my just, name. His, everything he said was just like this. We gotta establish this character quickly, and it's pretty late in the movie, so we're gonna have him talk to himself and say things like, "I'm a crazy Irishman," and it's yeah. like, "All right, yep. well, I guess that's what his personality is." I'm glad that he was able to <laughs> just break it down quickly. So I enjoyed that character. Board. I also like the juxtaposition of Irish Brendan Gleeson playing a Scotsman, and no, wait, this, Irish, yes, and Scottish David O'Hara playing an, an Irish. This was a disconnect. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So now we're getting bullshit masculinity through different scrims, like Irish, Welsh. (laughs) It's a European union of bullshit. Uh, The Irishman rescues William from an attack by the other new recruit, whose name I forget. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You have a note that says, yeah, shoot that deer. Love how heterosexual this movie is. (laughs) Right, but it was the, like, the the assassin was the one who immediately groveled to Wallace, like, went down on one knee as like, oh, I pledge our lives to you. We'll die for you. And then, you know, Stephen is the one who's just kind of standing there, more more circumspect. And then, of course, it's it's Stephen who turns out to be true blue, and the other guy is just a a fucking two-faced killer. Yep. Because that's yeah. what happens. There's a lot of Latin prayer in this movie for a mo- for like something <laughs> set in like where it was set. But yep. maybe there wasn't. Maybe that was the right amount, and I shouldn't just <laughs> credit his historical research. 
mean, what's he supposed to do? Make make the whole movie be in Aramaic? That would be crazy. Uh, Word reaches Wallace that the English are advancing towards Sterling. Robert the Bruce and his nobles aren't committing. But, weirdly, the Highlanders are coming down to join the fight. Multiple Highlanders. More than just the one. Which is unusual. (laughs) Yeah. Because you think there's only, usually there's just, just, just the one. Five out of six. Move on. Yeah, that was. They hadn't eliminated a few extra Highlanders at that point. A bunch of Scots are massed at Stirling. They're outnumbered three to one by the English forces and their horses. Uh, the sight causes some of the Scots to desert. Wallace and his men arrive, painted like they're uh, tailgating a Carolina game. Yes, <laughs> I had to look face that up. painting with woad. I had to look that up. I had to look that up. Yes. Good sports reference, Glenn. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Correctly deployed, for all I know. What's woad, Chris? Woad is the blue stuff that they had on their their faces that is equally anachronistic to the kilts. That is from a completely different era of history also. But it looks fucking badass, and and I don't care. People fighting the Roman Britons were the ones who were like... Yep. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? See, this moment, I certainly willingly surrendered to this in 1995, and I kind of sorted it again watching the, this movie last night. I mean, his speech is n- not that great. Like, his his version of the St. Crispian's Day speech is, is not particularly rousing. Like, oh, sure, you can go home and you'll live for a while. But would you trade <laughs> all the days from then to now to, to, to what? To not get killed right now? Not, like, yes, yes, I would. I mean, Aragorn, come back to this Aragorn moment. beat him. Aragorn was like, it is not this day. In that kind of Kermit voice of his. Uh, <laughs> fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. This is a, one of the, the crazy moments in this movie that I'm, I'm willing to accept. I'm dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance? Just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Two reasons. I think that overwhelmingly the performances in this film are very strong. As you both already said, we have a bunch of actors who are really selling some shitty lines to the point where it's like you don't realize how goofy they are until you, you write them down. And the other thing is fucking James Horner. That score for which Horner was nominated for an Oscar and a BAFTA, though he won neither, is doing so much work here, and I, I think successfully. Right. The cinematography is also doing a lot of work. Yeah. No, I feel like you could feel like you were at a spa, but you don't. Cinematographer John Toll did win his Oscar and his BAFTA for this film, and this is only his second feature as well, which is weird because generally when you're dealing with a a first-time director or a director who is dealing with something of this scope for the first time, you surround him with very you know very experienced DP, very experienced editor. Now Mel did have the first assistant director, David Tomlin of The Prisoner and Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh, Superman '78. His credits were. Major, 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 but also one of the the key creative people behind the prisoner. Anyway, but in speaking of the cinematography, like during this Crispin's Day speech, this Aragorn speech, like Mel's horse 
is going bug nuts wild like this whole time <laughs> and i'm like could you could you not could you couldn't you just sit there like and so the entire like the shot has to keep following him as this horse <laughs> is really high strung do we agree? Like, I it, thought he I was trying that. to like get everybody to hear him, and so he wanted to ride up and down the line. He's like, everyone will get like a line of this speech, and it's not that great a speech. Yeah, yeah. So, but... It seemed like he was fighting the horse, though, it seemed to me. I don't know. What the I, hell do I know? I hope that's true. I mean, it's got to be... That number of extras, the, I mean, yeah. they've already said we don't, we don't care about the weather. You know, we don't, we don't care about whether the shots match or not. But, um, yeah, it's got to be just difficult to, to get all your ducks in a row to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and relying yeah. on the, the performance of the horse to be right. <laughs> <laughs> so the English and the Scots parlay, and then Wallace joins in at the last minute, and he's like the guy who comes in in the meeting, like just zooms in at the last minute, like, hey, what's going on here? What, what's going on? Hey, hey, you know what I think we should do? Uh, and so it does not go well. Uh, Wallace has a cunning plan that involves flanking. That's about as much as I followed it because mm-hmm. I, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I don't understand things. Um, and no, this rope. this was pretty good actually. I thought yeah. like when we're going to stand up to the archers, and he tells the the Highlanders, make sure they see you riding away, so they think that you're retreating when in fact you're circling around to go attack the archers from mm-hmm. from behind. Uh, so a row of tiny English, these are tiny little jockeys, little tiny little English archers steps up. I would be an archer, by the way, because then you're just kind of like, you kind of just go, you fire your shot, yeah. and then you don't have to actually go and get yeah. next step in the thing. You would be a Newland archer. You would be uh, <laughs> in, in forbidden love with the Contessa, whatever, Michelle. Yeah, Parker, the right? Countess, yeah. Oh, oh gosh, what's Alenska. Alenska, Alenska, right? Alenska. Right? Yes. yeah. Yes. I don't know what you're talking yeah. about, but I'm she, she wore bl- red at her debutante. <laughs> like Scandal. Or was, it, or was it black satin? She wore something that she shouldn't have worn in her debutante. And I just I, read this. Anyway. Okay. Uh, uh, so then uh, the Scots moon, or as we said, sun, they show uh-huh. their, uh, they, sh- they flash their old tamashanters. They, uh-huh. they toss their cabers uh-huh. at the, at the, <laughs> at the, uh, at the advancing English army. Then the English send their cavalry out in slow-mo. And then just as they're about to be overrun, the Scots, um, the line of Scots, Hundreds of magical spears appear on the ground in front of them that Hang were not on. there before. No, 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 no. There was a shot of a bunch of the guys riding in with these long... There was? Yes, there was an insert of the, the guys riding in with these long tarps, which are clearly several spears tied together. Uh. I mean, it's only one shot, but it is, it is there. Okay, I feel like there's always like an establishing pre-battle shot that I don't quite understand, and then when the battle kicks in, like that was pitch. Those were spears, and so I guess that's yeah, the, yeah, those yeah, were yeah, spears yeah. shot. This movie is attendant to those details in a way that that, for example, like for all the praise that that Ridley Scott gets, I don't think the the battles in Gladiator have that. I mean, obviously, we're talking about different kinds of battles, but there is a, a just an editorial coherence to the battles in this that I feel like a lot of movies don't have, which again. I think Gibson kind of knows what he's doing directorially. No, I liked all the battle scenes. I have to say mm-hmm. the battle scenes were not a problem for me mm-hmm. in terms of, like, I understood what was going on. There wasn't, like, a confusing thing going on with the lighting. They, like, mm-hmm. set out the goal that was going to be accomplished in the scene, and then you got to watch people either accomplish it or fail to accomplish it for a reason that was clear. And it's like, most battle scenes don't actually cross that threshold. Agreed, and, agreed. Like, and, that's and what you want, yeah. Also, I have never been so relieved to to see the Humane Society No Animals Were Harmed certification at the end of this because movie. Because like that, so many spiky, impaled horses. See, I'm thinking they, they probably built some horse puppets, and it's mostly <laughs> sound, right? They just record some upset horses, and they cut really quickly over the, the shots of the... So we were convinced we're watching... 
Yeah, horse brutality. Just, yeah, yeah, just impale themselves. Ugh. But. but this is also a moral thing. Like, you know the bad guys attack the horses, and the good guys don't attack the horses. Like, that's yeah. that seems to be a very line in the sand. Uh, so the Scots pick up these spears, and then it's Vlad the Impaler, although it's Scottish, it's Angus the Impaler, I suppose, and then there comes the infantry. Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> yep. Battle, battle, battle. Uh, and the Hamish other... the Impalish. <laughs> nice. Okay. I mean, oh. uh <laughs> The armor here seems not to be worth the expense, right? I mean, like, no. the English are uh, so decked out, and yet they have a higher armor class, but I think the Scots get a lot of lucky rolls. Uh, they, get <laughs> a lot of D, D, they get a lot of D20s. Uh, so it's a rout. Later, Wallace gets knighted. He is the guardian and protector of Scotland, and then the nobles squabble, because what else are the nobles going to do? And Wallace mansplains to them about freedom, and then Robert the Bruce comes out and tries to sweet-talk him, and, of course, it doesn't work. There is a populist message to this film that gets hit yeah, again yeah. and again and again. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I, th- I thought before I realized Robert the Bruce was narrating it, I thought the whole film was like anti-Robert the Bruce propaganda. There was like, some guy <laughs> yeah. who had a real grudge against Robert the Bruce for unclear reasons. It was like, let me make a whole movie about mm-hmm. how he wasn't so great. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's still mostly a whole movie about that with a turn. Oh, no. Did my phone die? Totally. Okay, is you're frozen on. a little bit. Is he frozen for you? Oh no, and now there's an exclamation point. Exclamation point. Alexandra has become so animated that she has resolved herself into a, a mark of punctuation. Actually, you know what, Patrick Flynn? What, Beth Amon? I think we need to do a second season of our amazingly wonderful podcast, What is Love Actually? Are you saying we should dip into the almost endless and bottomless trove of Christmas films from Hallmark, Lifetime, and Netflix, choose six, and then take them apart one at a time starting November 26th? Yes, I am. All right, then. What is Love Actually? Season two, coming November 26th. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download. Go to patreon.com slash loveactuallypod for a list of season two's films as well as bonus episodes video podcasts movie commentaries and more around three two one so at an unnamed english <laughs> castle which turns out to be york uh on the scottish border uh, presumably a noble is fretting because his sodomite cousin the prince won't send troops uh and again the fact that his cousin is sodomite is an important detail that matters that should be included here yeah, no, it's, it's urgent to mention. It's film, urgent yeah. to mention that. His, Wait, does uh, does does the word sodomite appear in the film? Yes, he says, "My it's sodomite so cousin, the prince." Oh, I wrote okay. it down. All right, my all sodomite right. cousin, comma the prince, comma. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, grammar is so important because it otherwise, totally is. I'm glad it's, it's, it's punctuated correctly. Yeah. it's there. So again, uh, battering ram, grand, 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 grand. York falls because of flaming oil or whatever. Um, so then we see. Uh, young Edward and his friend Philip up in mm. a high tower, tastefully furnished tower. Uh, of course. We don't see it, but if the shot were reversed, we'd see... They'd probably be like a Greek torso sculptures and <laughs> a poster <laughs> of Judy at Carnegie Hall up on the wall. It, and just so much lube. Like, it would be like a Wendy's condiment station, but with pumps. <laughs> just with nothing but lube. I was picturing many small packets, so I'm like, I clearly haven't been to a no, Wendy's just, in a it's long a time. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> like horsey sauce, horsey <laughs> sauce, lube, lube, eros, eros, eros. I um, was imagining the results gym photography, like the black and white prints of the high contrast torsos. Yep, poster sized. 
and a tremendous sconces, because this is how you can tell a gay gym, great sconces. So Longshanks returns from France, and then he says the line, I, I don't want to be an actor. I never wanted to be an actor. Alexander, Lies. have you ever wanted Lies. to be an actor? Briefly, but I fortunately uh, was stopped. <laughs> By whom? How did this happen? Audiences. <laughs> they and, got up and said stop. Yeah, auditions. Yeah. I would want to be an actor for the 45 seconds it would take to enter a stage and say the line that Patrick McGowan says, which is, what news from the north? Because <laughs> that's all I want to say ever. Yeah. What news of the north? Um, you have to train for a lot of years to be able to pronounce the H in, in what. I guess. Can't what just roll news? it off the street. What news? And... <laughs> what news of the north? Uh, the, it, in that moment, in that moment, Chris, this is the best movie ever. Like in that moment where he st- walks in looking as good as he does, and he takes the crown and he hands it to his handman. Like, takes his crown and says, hands it off. Young Edward, here's my problem with young Edward. He is exacerbating the homophobia problem because he is serving you sync era Justin Timberlake hair. Like, that is a perm. That is a Justin it's Timberlake perm. not like a, a Mel Gibson perm. 1995, like is, that, yeah. is that right? Is that uh, NSYNC It's anticipating. Era? It's anticipating okay. NSYNC. NSYNC is like... the tail end of that uh-huh. decade when the good music came in as i like to say which yes. really bothers my husband <laughs> when 90s music got good that was when backstreeted in sync yeah backstreet's back all right so he tosses philip over tower now here's my problem chris hang like, on again, you can't you can't just speed through that glenn i mean i'm not going to oh yeah you yeah, philip my high counselor is skilled in the arts of war and then I, yeah i have a note that says jesus christ he killed philip yeah. <laughs> yes, let's let's run that back. Let's do that all at the the proper pace. Here's Although my... I do, I want to give him credit for the line. I will stand up to him and more. <laughs> <laughs> what's and more? Yeah, what's and more? I mean, I think that's what he's got the dagger for. Who is this person who speaks to me as though I needed his advice? I have declared Philip my high counselor. Is he qualified? I am skilled in the arts of war and military tactics, sire. Are you? And tell me, what advice would you offer on the uh, present uh, situation? I think, Chris, and in all seriousness, if I were to be in a theater, if I was like you, uh, and I went to a theater and saw this in a theater, there would be cheering when this kid was thrown out of the tower, right? Mm. Right, Chris? Was there Wait, cheering? If, if you were like me... Okay, you mean like me in that if you went to I'm see this film the in 1995. Yes, okay. the theater experience. I do not remember anything about the theater mm. experience. No, I truly don't. I truly don't. I don't remember hearing any, any visceral crowd reactions in this movie at all. Really? Because it seems like this film is engineered. Not even in the final 20 minutes. I feel like the final <laughs> yeah. 20 minutes. I mean, I think I saw it at the Fair Oaks Mall theater. where Because <laughs> uh, for some reason I remember that. information that, does not but... inform my reaction. In no, any... <laughs> no, I, I, I got it. I got it. Um, no, it was, it was not a, a memorable viewing experience the way that, you know, seeing The Dark Knight at midnight uh, opening night was, for okay. example. But I think that scene is there to make the audience cheer. That scene is there mm-hmm. to make the audience be like, yeah, fuck, fuck yeah. I, okay, I don't remember there being anything like that. I mean, it just I mean, reinforces like, Gibson's idea of homosexuality, right? Like, and then the shot of him falling through the air, I feel like, 
because they could just sort of do it tastefully, like with Murin's death, where they're like, mm-hmm. like he's out the window, and then you cut to like he's on the ground, or if you even cut to that, or you could just look at Edward's face. But instead, you watch him fall through the air in a way that's like, okay, and giving everyone time windmill, to react. And yeah. windmill as he's going. Yeah, down. yeah. So uh, then he beats up his son, and then he wonders his his <laughs> Justin Timberlake son, and then he wonders whom he will send uh. north to basically bribe him while giving, and this is. This is why you hire a Patrick McGowan. Uh, you get his little cough. The first cough of what will yes, become. Yes, his movie yes. cough. Yes. Yes. Love his like, movie cough. <laughs> also, yeah, you may return to your embroidery. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's there to make you hate him. It's there to make you him be evil. But uh, it's, right, it's... I know, and I love that. I, I I think that's a great line, actually. Whereas, like, I I don't know exactly whether he is accepting her flattery or if he is saying, "I know you're a liar." When he says, "She says you you can return to your embroidery," it's a great line reading, and it admits both interpretations, right? Right. Yeah. Although that is later. That's slightly later. That is later. Right. Yeah, yeah, later. yeah. And because it's Gibson, the mm-hmm. fact that. Uh, he returns from a foreign country with a cough. I, I, that's probably intentional, right? <laughs> they're, yeah, they're diseased. No. Well, he came back with the French disease, which I, yes. I think was syphilis. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I feel like syphilis got to be like the Italian disease in some countries and the French disease in other countries. <laughs> yeah. It was sort of like a... <laughs> yes. In my ancestors' native Poland, it was the... I don't know. Uh, Wallace dreams of Murin... Uh, then Longshanks sends... Yeah, I put wake-up call from your heterosexual wife, um, <laughs> exactly. is what my notes say. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh, Longshanks sends Princess Isabella, speaking of heterosexuality, she gets all fluttery in Wallace's presence, because of course she would. Why wouldn't he? Look at that mm-hmm. chin. Uh, and he would... I love her little outfit, though. She really it's dressed great, up. It's to... great outfit, yeah. Like the, she got the team colors. She's got the little sort of <laughs> Princess Leia proto The Leia Organa hair is... Yeah. Uh, yes. Ah! My son's loyal wife returns unkilled by the heathen. So he accepted our bribe? No, he did not. Cut to London. We learned that this whole sending her north uh, to parlay was but a ruse. Drink. Drink. (laughs) (laughs) So our little ruse succeeded. Thank you. And while this upstart awaits my arrival in York, my forces will have arrived in Edinburgh. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) The Welsh, French, and Irish are descending upon Scotland to burn it, or so he thinks. Uh, Isabella sends her uh, handmaid to warn Wallace, and Wallace returns to Edinburgh to talk to the council. And he mansplains to them again. He shames them because they are politicians, those fat cats in Washington. Yep, Um, yep. And he gets... Acting like Medicare is some kind of government program. (laughs) Yep. He gets Robert the Bruce to try to unite the clans. His father, who is further along in the leprosy, counsels against this. Uh, on the battlefield, they spread oil. Longshanks uh, sends the Irish out first because the dead cost nothing. The archers are ready, sire. Not the archers. My scouts tell me their archers are miles away and no threat to us. Arrows cost money. Use up the Irish. The dead cost nothing. And send in the infantry and cavalry. Uh, I think Patrick McGowan looks great in this armor. In his chainmail yeah. on a horse. He looks so good. We only see him from far away in long shots, so he might actually not be on a horse. You know, he might be just sitting on a chair or something for his close ups, but doesn't matter. He does look great in the armor. 
But there are certain shots of him in profile where, like, I, it's what you said, Alexander. Like, that's the profile. That's the fake nose. Like, we get a shot of the fake nose against the blue sky. The plantagenet nose. The plantagenet yeah. nose. The Irish turns out to be in on it, um, and they're all like, "Hey, good to see you." Hey, yeah, because they Stephen our king. Because they yeah. they all know each other. Yep. Uh, <laughs> then the archers send flaming arrows to ignite the oil, so it takes out their cavalry. Uh, fight, that was fight, good. Fight, battle, battle, battle. Pretty cool. Little twist. Little turn, little turn. Then Mornay and Lachlan, turns out, were paid off and they retreat. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, yeah, his sauce isn't even very good. <laughs> <laughs> Lachlan sauce, are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I hate Lachlan sauce. Longshex sends Arrow into the mix, hitting his own people, but he don't care because... Because uh, yes. evil, because evil. <laughs> I beg pardon, sire. Won't we hit our own troops? Yes. But we'll hit theirs as well. We have reserves. Paths of Glory, uh, the, the early Attack. Kubrick movie, I think has that same... I think it's World War One, and this it's like the Germans are like firing on their own troops to make sure that they, they right. get the English. Uh, yeah, same, same beat. Uh, Wallace gets hit by an arrow, but then he steals a horse and goes after Longshanks, who's retiring from the field of battle. Uh, then he gets attacked by this mysterious helmed figure who turns out, of course, to be Robert the Bruce. Yeah. yeah. So oh, what the I hell was, was stunned. That? Yeah. I thought it was going to be Isabella. I really wanted it to be Isabella. I oh, I thought it was going to be Edward. I thought he brought Edward to the battle oh. to like let him see the battle. And Edward was wearing the maximum amount of armor possible yeah. because right. of the movie. But no. No, why would, why would Bruce be there? You respected him too why much. Would... It couldn't have been Edward. Yeah. Yeah, and then also that's a weird moment where Wallace reacts with such heartbreak when he realizes that that the Bruce has betrayed him. Like I thought, I mean, he didn't have any faith in the Bruce anyway. Like he or thought the he politicians, was a, yeah, right. Cats. No, but yeah. he knows he knows he's Robert the Bruce because this is one of those historical movies where everybody knows. Oh, that's Robert the Bruce. Like he's gonna <laughs> Bruce. Be- <laughs> I knew it was gonna happen. I was waiting for it to happen. Couldn't tell when it was gonna happen. Rosalina. Uh, so Robert has a change of heart and then loads Wallace up on a horse to live to fight another day. Then he goes back to his father and then shows uh, this just so self-indulgent contrition and admiration because William Wallace. Oh, all of every line in this scene I wrote down because it was perfect. Uh, go Feed yeah. me to Luke. Feed me to I, Go ahead. I took it from him when I betrayed him. And then his father goes, all men betray. All men lose heart. And he goes, I want, I want to, to believe, believe. he does. And then he yes, gets he real does. mad and he goes, I will never be on the wrong side again. Which is just in keeping with how this film understands history where it's like it's a fixed set of things and so you know what's going to happen before you... Yep. Yep. Sign up. So, oh, I love that scene. It's a great scene because it's like William Wallace is saying he's perfect, he's beautiful, he looks like Linda Evangelista. That is exactly the sort of same level of anachronistic as Wallace screaming freedom at the end, right? And and just like presenting freedom as this this sort of abstract value. Would there be any context for that at all in, I in mean, Chris, at the end of the last half an hour of this film, he becomes Batman. Right, he just becomes <laughs> fucking Batman, and we're supposed to accept it as this is the thing that happened. Yeah, the crucifixion, the, the passion of Batman. The passion <laughs> of Batman. So Wallace goes to uh, Mornay and bashes his face in, mm. and then invents the diving horse of the New Jersey boardwalk. <laughs> like that's what happens. That just scene then. really. 
you think it's going to be a dream sequence, right? You think it's going to be Mornay as having a nightmare no, about Wallace coming to kill him? No, because there was a dream him. sequence before it. So right, you, but I mean, still, right. the so the actual murder of, of Mornay is shot like a horror movie. Like, it's it's shot yeah. like Sleepy Hollow. Wallace is like the Headless Horseman coming to uh, with a mace to... Uh, into his bedchamber. Yeah. And that poor horse. Yeah, no, that, when men go into men's bedchambers, they hit them with a face. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's the only they reason. They them. Yeah. yeah. No, it's funny because th- this is the one point when I started thinking, like, what is this movie's relationship towards violence? Because it was just like he killed this dude with a mace in a way that was, like, kind of visceral. And yeah. you're never like, oh, like, it's wrong that Mel Gibson is doing this much violence. You're always like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. He always looks amazing. But, yeah. Like, he, he deserved it, and so he got hit with a mace. And I think it's because he was uh, a prevaricating, two-faced politician. When when he killed the magistrate, he did it in a much more direct way. Like, the just slitting the throat seems yep. less cruel just, than the, the face bashing with the, with the mace, right? You assassinate him in his bed? Like, you ride a horse in and, like, extrajudicial killings? Like, I feel like all of the stuff that Wallace is doing... It, like, if the English did it, it would have been portrayed in, like, oh, my God, ho- so horrible, and they'd have a child go and look at it. And when Wallace says it's like, yeah, he lit that whole hut full of men on fire. And, like, there's never, like, a Lawrence of Arabia moment where you're like, hmm, this guy <laughs> likes it. Yep. So Robert the Bruce is feeling scared because Wallace is coming for them all. Then uh-huh. Lachlan's body falls onto his banquet table, and it's like, ladies, gentlemen... <laughs> You have eaten well. You have eaten Gotham's wealth. It's spirit. From this moment on, none of you are safe. It's so fucking Batman. And then we get the Bye Bye Birdie telephone game, where at the legend of William Wallace Crows, we cut to London. Wait, hang on. So this is where we get the, the Rocky Four shot of, of Wallace running along the, the mountaintops as the, yes. as the, the, the bagpipes play. This yeah. is my problem with Lord of the right. Rings, too. Walking along the ridges is the least efficient way to traverse a like, <laughs> Don't go... That is just... You're going to take so much extra time. Yes, it looks good. Uh-huh, like, uh-huh. why are you going along the... Go in the valleys. The valleys... Are right. I, I mean, I wondered, like, is that shot supposed to be a representation of the game of telephone that's that's spreading through the land as people tell about the Wallace is seven feet tall and, you know, shoots fire out of his ass and whatever. And then, like, and that's... that's we're watching him run along the hilltop because it's the same thing? Or is he actually doing that for no reason? Uh-huh. We've established I don't understand metaphors, so... No, but it's like, insofar as the movie's about anything, it's about, like, stories and the stories we tell. Right, and so right. I, I do feel like... But it also... That, those always make me feel like there's, like, a music video based on the movie that we're going to see <laughs> during the credit sequence, and it's, like, giving me a taste of it. Like, yeah. That's what I get from those overhead shots. But Tina Turner is in the wings. Well, we, we don't need another hero. We do <laughs> Cut to London. Longshanks sends assassins to try to ambush Wallace. He burns them alive. Uh, Patty McGee in the next scene here is ramping up the cough because he's an actor and he knows what he's doing. He's ramping it up, like turning it up to five. It was it two before? Now it's at five. He sends the princess to parlay with William because she is so grateful to experience a real man. Not homosexual, which, by the way, is abomination. Don't know if you knew that. It was part of the deal. It's kind of... And so... Again, uh, Isabella's lady-in-waiting. The look that she gives Isabella when Wallace walks into the tent. She's great. <laughs> she's really good <laughs> in her small yeah, she part. Knew what she, she knew yeah. the assignment, and she yes, delivered she on the, the assignment. assignment. Yeah. I understand you have suffered. I know about your woman. 
She was my wife. We married in secret because I would not share her with an English lord. They killed her to get to me. I have never spoken of it. I don't know why I tell you now, except... I see her strength in you. This is wildly ahistorical. <laughs> like, I don't feel like I need to, to make a point of this, but like, the idea that she just wants a real man. I've never spoken of it. I don't know why I'm telling you now. Just because you're the second woman I've ever spoken to. I think that, that's probably why. You tell your king that William Wallace will not be ruled, and nor will any Scot while I live. No, I, I love the movie breathing um, that everyone was doing. I, I love how like he was just so heterosexual that she had no opportunity, no choice but to like. How could you not? Yeah, because of the way you're looking at me now. Like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So we see a glimpse. You look of... so much like Hayden Christensen. Now. Oh God, we get a, we get we get a montage of Robert the Bruce father's suffering. Then we get Longshanks father's suffering. Isabella, by the way, is glowing. She oh yeah, her little oh. massage of oh, herself, God, her coital massage. Uh, yeah, I laughed out loud. She's it was... known the hard loving of a real man. She's got a <laughs> wee bear. So funny. She's got a wee bear in the oven. She is. She is definitely pregnant after a single coupling. The, this was when this I was, was like, oh, so a 13 year old boy wrote so when this. When Wallace movie. shoots, yeah. he doesn't Logan miss. Doesn't yeah. Miss. No, uh, this was, yeah, that was the part where I'm like, oh, he's never. <laughs> he's. This is Urban Dictionary gets a writing credit for like, <laughs> the amount of understanding of how anything works that's gone into this movie. Uh, the Lord summoned him to Edinburgh and he suspects a trap, but he goes anyway. And of course, it is a trap the English set upon him because Robert the Bruce's father uh, set it up. Uh, Robert the Bruce is contrite, but Robert the Bruce's father, not. Uh, we cut to London, where Wallace is accused of treason in front of a magistrate. And this is where we get Mel Gibson's kink. Uh, confess, it's a quick death. Uh -huh. Deny, and you shall be purified by pain. <laughs> and oh, I, man. Here's where I thought, we're not going to see all of this. And then I thought, oh, yeah, Mel Gibson, we're going to see all the yeah. fucking of this. No, th this is what I checked, like, what, how many minutes are left in the movie, That's and the exactly answer was 20, I and I was right like, oh, like, no, we're seeing we're all seeing of it. All <laughs> of it. Isabella goes to see him in the dungeon. She tries to give him something so he'll feel less pain, and he's like, get out of here, Buzzkill. I love, yeah. I love Stop pain. Stop shaming me, Isabella. <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> yeah. He takes it anyway. Isabella goes to the Edwards and asks for mercy. They refuse. Even now, you are incapable of mercy. <sighs> Tells him, Mon bébé is not of your line. I loved his impotent wheezing. I thought he did a wonderful job. It's really good. Wheezing. I think, I think, Alexander, the, the impotent wheezing is, is one of my favorite Patrick McGowan performances here. I think he's great because you see his searching eyes. You see him accepting the role that he is allotted. A child who is not of your line grows in my belly. Your son will not sit long on the Come on, he is crushing it in every scene here. He is so much better in this than he is in Scanners, than he is in The Phantom. In every fucking thing we've, t we've yeah. covered he to this date. He rules in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, he's owning it. He's owning it. 
The next day, they bring Wallace in, in Jesus pose. They pelt him with cabbages. They... Yes, I love the cabbages. <laughs> I wrote, why are they booing? He's right. Um... He's right. Then they, there's also people in the crowd who are shaking their fists at him, which is a very hard thing to do convincingly because it is a gesture that is hard to make authentically. Like, shake my fist at you. <laughs> it's not a thing anybody ever does realistically. Me, you. He's brought to the gallows thing and has various implements revealed to him. Uh, he refuses to ask for mercy. And then suddenly a wee baron in the crowd smiles at him beatifically. And that's a nice moment when he sees Murrin yeah, in amazing. the crowd. That's I like that. And then a stupid me. But the I figured, child that he made eye contact with, I thought was a little like that was I weird. understood what it was going for, I think. And I also liked that they pantomimed all the torments he would undergo before he underwent them. So it's like, what's going to happen in this scene? As like somebody who wanted like a little bit of a like, you know, what's my level of like violence that I'm about to witness? Like warning going in. I did appreciate that they mimed beforehand. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And the way that they flee when the executioner or whatever and the, uh, what is that guy's title? The confessor. I, I would say executioner, yeah. Yeah, Lord High Executioner. There's the guy who actually drops the axe and beheads Willis, who is actually the executioner, but who's the the guy who's urging him to confess, and who also, in private chambers, he uh, he asked him to confess, and he so it's the same guy in in public at the gallows and in I don't know what is what is that guy's title, judge, yeah. right. okay, uh, yeah, judge, jury, executioner, yeah, yeah. <laughs> judge dread, <laughs> with the with the uh, accent on executioner, I figured they wouldn't show it all because I didn't realize at this point who Mel Gibson is. And then well, hang I on. Went, oh, I mean, no. I, I, I have never seen The Passion of the Christ, but I mean, oh, I understand haven't. it is fantastically graphic and, and brutal and horrible. And this in this movie, but the, the run-up, this is like the... the yeah, this, this is like the dry run. Sure, dry but, run. but I'm it saying in, in the scene when he is actually being quartered in this movie, right? Uh, like he is, uh, well, they string you up before they do that right so i mean he's lying down he's and being drawn and quartered yeah I, and i mean again because we got the pantomime before so i gather he is being disemboweled but that's not actually shown i mean the camera is on his face as that's happening right so i mean it's not like we're getting spurts of blood coming up from the bottom of the frame it's, it's gibson doing the pain acting the hurt acting I'm, I'm just gonna confess to you both because I'm being urged to confess. Um, this cue is the one that I listen to the most. As Wallace is being disemboweled and preparing to yell out the abstraction freedom, as though that would mean anything to like in this context or to, to this audience, I, I really love what Horner's score is doing in this moment. Really, really great. Okay. <laughs> And I was like, what was that spurt? And like, given the implement and where they were putting it, I like Googled this to be like, <laughs> did, did viewers, what did viewers understand what's going on then? And they were like, well, historically, it's like there, there's varying accounts as to whether he was castrated or not. And so the movie didn't show anything about that. And I'm like, how interesting. And they like, it didn't test well to test audiences, according to one forum poster. So they tried to keep it more ambiguous. I mean, I, yeah, like at that point, like like we've seen enough impalings and, and beheadings and, and things. You'd think, you'd think, one would think. 
Well, what I'm saying is, like, I don't think this sequence is, is particularly revels in gristle and 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 gore and viscera. Because again, it's it's it like the actual so torture. This is twenty minutes. Twenty minutes, Chris. Twenty minutes of this. Come on. It's not 20 minutes. Glenn, I know I know how long it is because I've listened to the fucking music cue so many times. It's not 20 minutes long. But you're, you're right that it's not reveling in, like, the gore of it, but it is reveling in the, like, what if they told you they could break you? And, like, it's, like, all of, like, the suffering this is what is they're reveling right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And it's it's and It's tiring. It's tiring. Yeah. Haggisography. Thank you very much. Uh Wow. Six. Six out of six. Stupid me. I figured they wouldn't show up. He gets racked. This is all foreshadowing for what's going to happen in Temptation of Christ. The prisoner uh, wishes to say... Hang on. Last Temptation of Christ is a good movie. That's a good movie. Different (laughs) movie, good movie. Okay. Uh, He says the prisoner wishes to say where the word he wants to say is freedom. He then, after that, spots Murd in the crowd. He hasn't spotted her before this. William the Bruce is set to meet them with uh, the English on a field of battle and accept them giving him the crown of Scotland. Instead, he charges the British in slow motion, and then we learn that they won their freedom, which is kind of like encapsulating 16 years of history into one day. It happens nine, nine years later. Yeah, yeah, the so battle is, uh, yeah, that's in 1314, and Wallace was uh, drawn and quartered in 1305. But then, like, the idea of, like, them throwing the sword, like, how do you know it's going to, like, land in the, in the <laughs> ground? Awesomely? How do you know it's going to land in the shot? It's probably just going to just, like, yeah. And And what's a warrior poet? <laughs> are they are they having uh you know a verse battle like uh oh, that would be awesome <laughs> yo mama yeah. dylan thomas would be huh. awesome oh as as alexandra resolves herself into a do it seems like uh he spots Mern in the crowd i think is where we ended and then we're gonna do like our great moment our kind i of, love that um, that's cheesy as fuck. But okay, so okay. we're gonna we're gonna uh, do that, and then we're gonna freedom. Okay, freedom. Uh-huh. <laughs> we're going to uh, do our summation to our like our our. I always wanted to one uh, out of what, six. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Jay Freedom Delac was the post music critic when I was doing oh, a lot of music writing for them, and uh, on on our infrequent in person meetings, I always wanted to do it, and I I never had the courage to greet That's him thusly. Good. This yeah. is your inner voice. But I wanted to. Listen to your inner voice. So, uh, as he's being tortured and disemboweled and detainted or whatever the fuck he's, what is happening to him, he Purified spots Murin in the pain. crowd um, and he smiles at her and she smiles at him. And then later, William the Bruce is set to meet the English and accept Robert, Robert the Bruce. Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> It's late. Robert the Bruce is set to meet the English uh, on the field of whatever the fuck and accept their uh, giving him the crown of Scotland. Yep. Instead, he charges the British in slow-mo. And then we don't get... I expected crawls in this movie. I expected a crawl in the beginning and a yeah. crawl at the right. end. We get no crawls. We just get voiceover and we get... Uh, we learn that they won their freedom, which uh, is a huge oversimplification of what happened. I think the salient point there is that they fought like warrior poets, Glenn. They fought like warrior poets. What does that mean? Like Dylan They fought Thomas like Scotsmen. Like, <laughs> swinging his dick around? What is what is fighting He's like Welsh. a warrior? He's Welsh. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. That's very no. true. Robert Burns, swinging his dick around. Yeah. Warrior poets. So, yeah. So, what did we think of this movie? Chris, <laughs> let's start with you. 
because you're the one who has seen this. How many times have you seen this movie? It's not something that's that's been in heavy rotation in my life, but I definitely saw it in the theater twice, and I have certainly seen it in the intervening years. I'm going to give it a five. I think this, this movie, I mean, it is a weak screenplay, but I, I, I think it's very well made. I think the performances are good. Um, at least one point is entirely down to James Horner's score. Uh, which I, I think is is fantastic. I don't mind the massive historical compression slash fabrication. This is not supposed to be a documentary. It's not supposed to be a history. And I okay. hang on, right. hang on, Glenn. And I, I actually think if you make an emotional, dramatically compelling fiction, um, loosely, yes, yes. Lies. I think if you if you I would say this is a a sturdy uh, uh, sturdy textile sturdy of lies uh, with a, a strong <laughs> tensile strength, Glenn, and strong enough that I think it it makes me care about this enough to want to go read an actual history and and then be like, oh fuck, oh Jesus, oh wow, yeah, 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 yeah. But there are the Newt Gingriches of the world. There are the people who are just taking this as read as history. Of and course, and them. I am not responsible for are... people being stupid, Glenn. I don't think that you should consult only one work on any subject that interests you, whether it's Scottish history or, or anything else. Mm-hmm. But you're expecting people to, to uh, uh, take this film in and then question it in a way that you do. If you read the the uh, Wikipedia sections on Braveheart's legacy and you know cultural impact and uh, what it did for for tourism in, in Scotland and uh, <laughs> there's actually a, a like a hilarious uh, sort of Jebediah Springfield subsection about the creation after this film of a new William I mean there is there is a Wallace Memorial that uh, sure. existed before this film and but apparently it became a much more popular destination thereafter and they had to keep it open year round and blah 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 but there was also like a a new statue that looked a lot like Mel Gibson that was built and then, <laughs> did, and then it was did. moved around because it, it was, came to be regarded uh, as kind of an embarrassment. <laughs> so, uh, again, I'm thinking of the, the Jebediah Springfield statue. Five. It's a, it's a five. Five, five, five. I think it's a, it's a very well-made piece of nonsense that okay. uh, I found okay. moving. Alexander, your turn. Oh, man. Well, I think... I was glad that I had seen it, which is a different feeling from like liking it. Mm-hmm. And I definitely like enjoyed the battle sequences. Yep. So yeah. I, I, f- I felt like it did a good job. Like it, it was exactly what it was at all times in a way that was fascinating as a text. I was like really glad to have like consumed it. And I feel like that so many things stemmed from this. Like I feel like the energy you get from like 300 or movies where it's like, it's important that we like dial up to a thousand what's going on with the enemy. So we know that like they are bad and we are all men in skirts, but we are macho. <laughs> and like just that whole template. Like I feel like I understand so many like poorly made, like, you know, Pat Robertson esque movies. Uh-huh. Like, with, like, <laughs> Just the idea that, like, you're the protagonist of it in this way. But it, I've seen movies that I found way less watchable. I, so it was very watchable even if I was like, Ugh, I didn't like anything that it was trying to say. And then this guy went off to make Passion of the Christ in addition to, like, a jerk of himself. Um, yeah. And so I, I feel like as a movie, it was very entertaining. So I guess I'm going to give it a 
a three and I'm glad that it's under my belt ultimately. But like if somebody, if I met somebody who was like, I love Braveheart, like it, it, like they have like a bunch of Braveheart merchandise, I would be a little concerned. That's what, yeah, I, that's well, what I, yeah, I mean, I think that would be a red flag if, if someone felt like that was one of the most important things for me to know about them was how much they love Braveheart. <laughs> then, yeah. Uh, yeah, probably I, I don't want to know that person that much better. Mm-hmm. But like I've had like awful movie going experiences where I'm like, oh my god, like I'm re- every minute of this drags no, and I'm sure. miserable, and this movie thinks it's so smart, and that none of those are criticisms no. of this movie. No, yeah. and it is a fact that the 178 minutes of this film are shorter than the 85 minutes of Francis Ha. I've I've done the math, okay. and that's it's true. Yes, that's that's yeah. throw throwing down. Um, I will say that for me, this film was hovering at a four for most of its running time. Even though I saw everything coming, if this movie is all text, 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 there is no subtext to this movie. I would love there to be some fucking subtext to this movie, but there is none. This is not what this film is uh, ad- adventuring in. Um, and again, I agree with you, Alexander. Like the the, the battle scenes are vis- visceral in many senses of the word. They are effective they are they have a lot to owe to like the seven samurai they have a lot to owe to uh, films that came before it and and a lot of films that came after it owe something to this film for sure um, and I, I mean i i think this is a real throwback like this sort of historical a historical epic whatever we're calling it was, was not fucking <laughs> historical okay yes. but lawrence of arabia ben-hur those films were decades out of fashion by the, the time this this rolled around and i i brought up I, I do think Dances with Wolves is, is kind of a fair comparison document, even though that was an adaptation of a pretty recent novel at the time, you know, which, again, was directed by its star and swept the Oscars and, and blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, I, I do think this film kind of revived this this genre for, for a little while. Right. Uh, strangely, it, it was preceded in theaters uh, by one month by Rob Roy, which I have not seen, but another another Scottish history. I mean, different. I think that's 18th um, century, long Rob after Roy this. Rob Roy is a film that I saw in the theaters because uh, at one point um, a character says, oh, I feel she's come to the end of her tether. And then we, the next scene is her having hung herself. And you're like, oh, this is not good. Wow. This is oh. a terrible movie, fucking movie. Wow. Terrible fucking movie. She's come to the end of a tether. One month after this, Batman Forever came out in uh, Nipplegate. So Joel Schumacher got to have his say sure. in the multiplexes of America in the summer of 1995, too. All right. So you give it a five. <laughs> uh, Alexander, I can't remember. What did you give it? I think I give it a three. You give it yeah. a three. Here's my thing. For most of it, it was hovering around four. The last half hour of this film, where it becomes self-indulgent, self-hography, like self-watch-me-being-tortured, knocks it all the way fucking down to a one so wow or one what's the, the what is it two like the last half hour of this film pisses me off so much it's not the gay shit the gay shit is so toothless and so like adolescent boring that it, there's nothing there it's how self-indulgent this film becomes in the last half hour that just i hate <laughs> like, <laughs> fucking hate that that in the last bit so what is four divided by four plus one divided by two i don't four plus one is is five divided by two is two and a half two and a half so two and a half okay two and a half sixes two and a half okay all right so uh, two and a half haggises i don't know what the fuck right so you you uh you were not as high on it as siskel or ebert but uh uh, we've got this this terrible exclamation point once again 
She's back. She's waiting. Is she? Is she? Well, a a a. No, now she's gone. She's gone. Dang. She says, "Go on without me." We're at the end. <laughs> we can't. She gave her. She gave her review. She gave her number. Well. Folks, we we have lost Petri, uh, and and I hope she'll be back. But just in, in in case she isn't, again, read her almost daily at the Washington Post, and follow her on Twitter at at Petri Dishes. <laughs> what was her? She gave it three, right? She said she said mm-hmm. three. Okay. Yep. She says she is going to record herself saying thank you again and freedom right now. So we will. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, freedom, fuck that. So our thanks once again to the brilliant and hilarious Alexander Petri. Thank you again. This was a treat. And, uh, the prisoner would like to say a word. Freedom! Just not the same without Jamie Horner and the London Symphony Orchestra. Now, we, we did say at the end of our Ranking the Twos episode that Silver Streak would be yeah, our but next then this episode. Came up. So we do need, well, we, we do have, um... Margaret Willison and and Ronald Young, Ronald Young, on deck okay. for Silver Streak. So sweet. We still got to get Linda back to talk about. I'm calling it. I have not seen this film, but I I think a time to kill will be a far less rewarding Magoo experience than than this was because how could how could you top Braveheart? How could you top Braveheart? I think we've hit the peak. I think we hit peak Mc, Mc, uh, Magoo. I think so too. I think so too. Boy, we have seen some good movies together lately, Glenn, but I so wish we had watched this film together so that I could see you <laughs> making the same facial expressions. Mel <laughs> makes at the end. I salute you. Okay, and uh, you. Be seeing you. Yes, be seeing you, Glenn. Degree Absolute was conceived by Glenn Weldon and is produced by me, Chris Klemek. I wrote our silly little theme song, which was then arranged and beautifully performed by my dear friend Casey Aaron Clark on vocals and keyboards and her brother Jonathan Clark on guitar and percussion with Marcus Newstead on bass. Find out more about Casey at CaseyAaronClark.com and or VitalVoiceTraining.com. Tweet us at not a number pod. Follow us on Instagram at a degree absolute. Write the Citizens Advice Bureau at Absolute at gmail.com leave us a five star review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, whatever podcatcher you use to hear us along with your wildest prisoner take and we will read your take on a future episode. Please do reach out to us because Glenn in particular needs to know that you're all lucid self-aware beings in control of your own destinies. The sheep smear sheep Easily dispersed if we strike the shepherd. It's no degree partial, it's a degree absolute. absolute. absolute.